difficulties this week. Um, but hello, and welcome to episode six of Laughing Into the Void. I'm your host, Tom, and as always, co-hosting with me is the lovely Rosalind Paris. You can watch our Hi. previous... <laughs> always, every single time. Every time I surprise. fuck you up. Every time. <laughs> Me and Brooks have a similar thing when we try and, like, transition who's hosting the mic and just always fuck it up. Anyway, you can watch our previous broadcasts on the District Comedy YouTube and Facebook channels or listen to them on Spotify. Um, if you like us and want to support the stream, be sure to like, share, and subscribe. Also, if you want to watch on district-comedy.live, um, we have donations enabled right now for the 2020 end-of-year fundraising campaign for Synetic Theater until the end of the month. So, uh, if you want to see the little bar at the bottom of my screen fill up, or you just want to support the arts, um, consider making a donation of any size there, or um, uh, bit.ly slash Synetic2020, which is on my screen, is also a URL that you can donate to. They both go to the same place. But, um, today we have a very special guest, uh, Ralph Anthony. Uh, Ralph Anthony is a New York City-based comedian whose material is primarily derived from his unique observations of the world we live in. A high-energy goofball with lots to say, Anthony was deemed the mouth by his childhood friends and hasn't stopped making people laugh since. Still, a lot has changed from his younger days in upstate New York, but Anthony's keen point of view and likability allow him to connect with audiences on a variety of subjects all over the country. During the summer of 2018, Anthony had the opportunity to travel overseas in Europe, performing on some of the biggest shows in London and Paris. His credits also include ESPN, the 2018 New York Comedy Festival, and was chosen as one of Caroline's on-Broadway breakout artists of 2019. And you can follow him on everything at RalphTheMouth81, um, and I believe your website is also uh, RalphTheMouth.com, yes. correct? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Thank you. Yeah, that's, that's, such a nice, that's, that's such a nice intro. Nobody ever reads your entire bio. That's fantastic. I I try. I Tom is very thorough. Uh, if this was occurring in person, he would give you a full physical exam as well. Yeah. Nice. I, well, uh... <laughs> I also try and fit it all into one breath, um, just for good measure. But yeah. um, I'll start us off with the same question that we ask everybody at the top of the show, which is for those of... Uh, the people watching who may not know of your work, how would you describe your sense of humor? Oh, um, goofy. Serious, I'm seriously goofy. Um, I tell a lot of stories, uh, observations. I, I don't know. I wouldn't say life's a joke. I don't know. I make fun <laughs> of it. That, that, that's it. Yeah. That's how I would describe it. it it's, it's, I don't know. I could be blue. I could do family friendly. Uh, I could be whatever kind of comedian you need me to be. <laughs> so the goal is versatility, it seems. Uh, yeah, we'll go with that. That sounds great. Yeah. Okay. okay. That's a great opening question. Wow. Like a deer in headlights, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> That's how we go here. We, <laughs> we ask the serious questions. Um, <laughs> But um, I'll just uh, get right into some of what I have prepared tonight. Um, but um, obviously, from the bio I read, you have a pretty extensive uh, comedy resume, uh, including the opportunity to perform in Europe. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Any unique stories or experiences touring internationally? Um, yeah, I mean, I... I... <laughs> 
it, it's uh, pretty wild how that story came about. I actually had um, I had met someone um, here in the New York City. It was very random. It was a whirlwind of a weekend, and uh, I could not let her leave. Like we did not want that weekend to be the last time we saw each other. So I said, well, what if I came to London? And she was like, that'd be great. Let's do it. And so I started planning out this little comedy tour. So I would go to see her and then tell jokes. And after about a month or so, it turned into, well, I'm going to go to London and tell jokes and then maybe see her to actually getting to London and being like, I'm going to go to London to tell jokes and then I'll just never see her. Uh, so that's how the, that's literally how the trip started. Um, I, I went to chase after a girl and, um, and it just didn't work out, but I ended up doing, uh, I did 11 shows, did 11 shows in 10 days. Oh, wow. Um, and it was, it was, it was amazing. It was, um, it was just amazing. Um, you know, uh, they have some phenomenal, phenomenal venues out there. It, it's, uh, there's some great Facebook groups. If you can get, um, uh, if you can get in and, you know, you sign, you get into the Facebook group and then you just put a message up, obviously when we can travel post COVID, um, it's a phenomenal opportunity. London is one of the coolest places that I've ever told jokes in because they have a very dark sense of humor. Oh, <laughs> they, really? Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. Out of, uh, it took me, a f uh, to be honest with you, it took me a few days to get used to it. It took me a few days and I was like, why are only my suicide jokes hitting? And, uh, <laughs> um, you know, uh, fun fact, fun story. Um, when I came back from London, I was in therapy and, um, and she asked me how the trip was. And I told her that it was, you know, it was a little rocky at first, you know, and, uh, but you know, I made it through, I had some great shows, told some great jokes. And I was like, yeah, it was pretty surprising. Uh, my suicide jokes really did, did the best out of all of them. And she goes, Oh, you have suicide jokes, do you? Uh, <laughs> tell me about them. <laughs> Turns out the biggest gig of my career was just sitting on my therapist's couch telling their suicide. <laughs> well, that's good. She gets yeah. a she gets a free show out of it. Yeah, um, it, was, it was pretty wild, pretty wild, man. But uh, no, it was a, it was a great trip. I loved it. Oh my god, I just I have to say this because otherwise it's gonna bother me. But would you say that those jokes killed? Ah. Uh? I would definitely say that they killed. Oh, okay. Yeah, I wasn't Sorry. leaving myself to. I wasn't leaving myself out there to to dry. Uh... <laughs> well, see, I feel like the common conception is that like. <laughs> I'll give you a second. Um... Yeah, I really wanted to say I wasn't trying to hang myself out there. That's what I. Was... There we go. That's... Okay. <laughs> well, no. I was it wondering led... what the dry. I was like, what? Yeah. Hang myself. Yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah. No. <laughs> well, I was I was gonna say actually that um that's the common conception of like a English sense of humor is that it's uh dry, um, which I don't Academic. necessarily associate with dark, but I guess that kind of makes sense. Yeah, they're they're a very interesting audience. Like they could be really loud, um, like any crowd that's having a good time, or they could just be like. <laughs> And apparently you're killing. Um, that is very funny. Very funny. Very strange. Wow. Yeah. Cool. All right. Yeah, well, I guess you don't even think about like the cultural differences between audiences until you really like have to. 
you know it's it's interesting to see how like that can affect your own gauge of how you're doing or not yeah when i went uh the first show i did um I was doing some jokes, uh, you know, being from America, this and that, and I made a Tom Brady reference, and they all stared at me. They had no idea who Tom Brady was, and I was like, oh, fuck, we're in trouble. And um, But I, I, I honestly, I will say, that's why I love being from New York and, and, and really cutting my teeth in New York City clubs, because um, you got really good at crowd work, and my crowd work was what helped save uh, those first uh, first few shows. Um, and that's how you get used to it. You start doing crowd work and you're like, oh, you're just as fucked up as the rest of us. Okay, <laughs> good. Got it. Fantastic. But, well, wh uh, yeah. Why don't you tell us a little bit about, you know, being from New York and kind of, uh, it sounds like you got your footing um, in comedy from the New York City scene. Um, so tell us a little bit about the scene. Uh, I, um, yeah, I had started stand-up when... Um, I had tried stand-up when, before I moved here, um, I used to live in Albany in upstate New York. And, um, and I came down in February of 2012. I came down for a night. I came down on like a Friday night. Uh, cause I, I told a few jokes up in Albany. I was like, a lot of fun. I'm, I'm pretty much hooked on it and wanted to, you know, needed to make a jump. I knew that I had to make a move right away. Uh, I couldn't stay in Albany. There really wasn't anything there. So it was, literally between New York and Chicago. And uh, so I went to New York and I did, I told jokes, I hit a few mics, uh, checked out a few shows. And I was like, this is great. This is it. Boom. That was February. I took a promotion at my job uh, at the end of the month and was living in Brooklyn by May. It went very, very quick. And uh, so my first experience with New York, I loved, I love these rooms. I realized how bad I was. I mean, I was new to <laughs> I mean, listen, I was new to stand up, but like even some of the jokes that did well outside of New York just felt flat as soon as you get here. Like the level of talent that is that was in this city, it's unparalleled. Like you really got to you got to step your game up. You got to raise the bar. Um, you never make it. You'll never make it. You have to grow. You have to mature. You have to really adapt and figure out how it is you want to tell your jokes. So, you know, I was doing a lot of mics. I was doing a lot of these backroom bar shows. And, um, and also trying to work full time. So it was tough in all honesty. It was, it was probably one of the hardest things I've ever had to do. Uh, I was working 60, 70 hours a week, uh, six days a week on top of trying to do stand up at night and stand up kind of fell by the wayside. Like I would be on for a month off for two on for one off for one. And that's how it went for the first like two and a half years I was here. And then, um, and then I found out about like uh, barking for spots. Uh, it was all new to me. And I loved it because I was uh, a sales rep by day. So cold calling was, was how I made a living. So I was like, oh, I, you, one, I get paid to sell tickets. And two, I also get stage time. So I would be, yeah. in, the, uh, I'd be in Greenwich Village, uh, either at the Lantern or at the Pear, Grizzly Pear. And I would just bark for shows. Um, uh, I'd bark Fridays, bark Saturdays, and I would make a little money and get a spot, make a little money and get a spot. And it, that just went on for like, uh, I barked for about three years, barked for about three years, uh, or two years, there for about two years, actually. And then I started producing shows at, at the Grizzly Pair. And, um, and that's really when I started to feel like I was getting my footing was 
once I started doing more bar shows or actual shows as opposed to doing mic, mics can be tough. Um, mics can be really tough anywhere, uh, especially when you're trying to come up because you have to get up, you have to get that stage time, you have to get those reps in, you have to do the workout, but you need some kind of uh, positive force to like, or pos something positive to pull you back because those rooms, <laughs> was it oh, just God. because of the like the level of talent that you were going up with or was there anything just like about the audiences where they like didn't want to laugh because i would think that being around um for um hmm sorry i have another question in a second um because i just had somebody ask me they're not sure what barking is if you want to explain that <laughs> Sure. Uh, barking is when you're outside of a club selling tickets for the show. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so it helps bring people in. But yeah, I was um, I was wondering, um, it, there must be an advantage too, though, to going to all these open mics and being surrounded by all this amazing talent. Like some of it must like pull you up to their level if you're not already, or hopefully give you confidence that like you are performing at the same show as these other talented people. Oh yeah. When you're doing shows, it's phenomenal. It's it, what I was trying to say is how tough it is, is, is really just do, trying to do open mics uh, when oh, you're yeah. first starting. No, between both, between bar show shows and mics, you want to elevate. You don't want to be the weakest link on the show. You don't want that label. Um, you don't want that at all. So it, it's, you see certain people that, that are performing well and you, you just have to elevate. You have to put more time in. And that's really what happened for me. Uh, I hit a point. Uh, it was around 2015. I was like, I, I can't take this. I cannot take this. I have, I have to be all in and I have to bust my ass doing this. And that's when work started to take a backseat and I started to write more and perform more and bark more and just eat and sleep stand up. And, uh, and it really, it, I think it really kind of paid off. Um, stand up in New York is just, it's unreal. The fact that you can, when you're coming up, you can get up four, five, six times in a night. If you want to, you know, when clubs are open or rooms are open and you could start hitting open mics, you know, uh, mm -hmm. it's all about quantity. You just want to keep getting up and up and you can get up, you know, 20, 30, 40 times in a week. And that's, that wow. is just. <laughs> it's it's unreal, man. It is unreal. City uh, that never sleeps, right? No, so... everybody's out telling jokes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, like, in between those sets, I'm curious because you know, um, Tom and I come from a, a more improv background. Like, we both do stand up now, but huh. our our roots are kind of in improv comedy, and we think about like warm ups, like keeping our energy up over the course of a show. So how do you kind of deal with it where like you go on, you have maybe a good set, you come off, your energy kind of drops, you go to the next mic, you got to amp yourself up again, you know, when you get up there. And then like maybe you just like blow it that time and then you, you, you're going to another mic and you got to come back from that. Like what, how do you deal with that when you're mic hopping kind of? Um, I think I was at an advantage because I was a sales rep. I was a cold call rep. So I was used to getting rejected. I was used to getting, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean that I was already built for that. I didn't take it personally. 
yeah, sometimes you get aggravated. Sometimes you certainly get annoyed and you, and you spout off a little bit. Uh, it's frustrating. It's frustrating when you're trying to create and trying to hone a craft and it's not going the way that you want. You put in a ton of effort, a ton of time. You are investing your life into something that might not work out. It's a high probability. And so you want to get better. And the only way to get better is to get up. But you can't let it stay with you. You can't. You have to just mentally just shake it right off. Um, you have to just shake it right off. You're like, all right, well, fuck it. It wasn't, that wasn't my set. But you have, it, it, the only way that to do that is, is if you record it. You record it, you see what you did wrong. If you want to get better, you have to fail. That's the only way to be successful. You have to fail. You have to be built for failure. And, um, and for me personally, just to keep that energy up, uh, a lot of coffee, uh, a lot of coffee, a <laughs> lot of fruit, and a lot of weed. Uh, <laughs> that's it. That that would that would be it. I would keep my uh, it's right here. Keep my little one hitter. Um, keep my little one hitter, and I would always have a coffee with me, and always have some fruit, pear, banana, apple, whatever. And um, uh, well, I don't know. You just you just have to want it. That's that's the only way that you that you're gonna succeed. Um, so in addition to, uh, I guess coffee or other stuff, um, would you make any adjustments to the set itself in between gigs? Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, okay. uh, <laughs> yeah. You, it depends on what you're working out. If you're just working out new material and you're just trying to get it out and, you know, kind of get the form right. Great. If you're trying to, you know, sharpen some stuff up. Great. But, um, you know, you audio record every set. I would listen to it with my earbuds in between, whether I was walking or taking the train. And you just sit with your little notepad. Oh, you know, I still, I still have the same process now as I did, you know, four or five years ago. I listen and you make some notes. You see what works. And, and sometimes you can find a little magic, a little gem in, in something that you might not think it went well, but you're like, you know what? You hear it and you're like, oh, well, I could say this, but if I just tweak this one little word, it literally could be one word, one description, one pause, facial expression, act out, whatever. And it could, boom, change the entire trajectory of a joke. Yeah, and there's, I think, so many things that can affect, like, the pace of a joke, and then that'll affect whether or not it hits or how the joke hits and might just hit differently. Um <laughs> Unfortunately for that piece of advice, I feel like I am just so turned off by hearing the sound of my own voice on recording <laughs> that I could never do that. I could never do that. Was that something you had to get over? Just, Or is that just a me thing? I'm just the only one who you hears know, the sound of their own voice. Uh, no. No. You, I mean, somebody, just t somebody told me, they were like, you, you just have to do it. And I'm very stubborn. And I'm like, well... We just have to do it. If this is the way it's got to be done, then it's the way it's got to be done. Uh, the the hard part for that for me is when you have a joke that you're working out and you have to sit, listen to the same garbage four or five times in a row as you're trying to work this joke out. Um, that's the frustrating part. That That's the frustrating part. Or when uh, you video record a set at like a, a, a bar show or whatever and, and – um, watching yourself is 10 times harder than just listening to yourself because when you have that visual you're like oh i look fucking awkward this is weird why did i do that what kind of weird act out is this who are you who do you think you are i mean this it, it's 
it's just a hurdle you have to get over, dude. Um, but I, I, you got a you got a good voice. Don't don't be turned. Nobody likes their voice. I I feel like I yeah. sound like a moron. <laughs> well, <laughs> I am interested too in kind of hearing about because you talk about going like full throttle into it and like I guess kind of um, pursuing comedy more directly as a profession. Um, and I'm interested in to what that entails because I feel like at least from my side of things as like maybe not as a stand-up but as a like performer there's like the craft itself that's important but then on the other side of it there's so many other layers that people don't even think about as far as like branding yourself marketing the networking and all the administrative duties that you know people don't see but are super yeah. important <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, when I say you go all in, it's once your job is done, you're out. You're out the door. Uh, you're out the door doing stand-up. You're uh, at a coffee shop writing. You're at an open mic working out jokes. You're at a show to see other comics. You're at a show to watch people you look up to. Um, you know, I got to a point... Um, I got to a point where I had built up this book of business where... All I really needed was my cell phone. That's all. All I needed was my phone on me. That was it. Everything was done through through our phones. And um, and so I would leave work. I would just leave work early. I was like, you don't you don't pay me enough. <laughs> you, you don't pay me enough. You. In fact, uh, for the last uh, for the last um, six months, I had I had taken a twenty percent pay cut. Um, before I ended up getting fired. And, uh, and so w when that stuff happens, you, your company will never, wherever you work does not care about you, no matter what they say, like they don't care about you <laughs> or your life. Um, and I found this out. I had a manager. This guy was such, what kind of, can I, can I, like, what kind of douchebag was this guy? Like, that, that's what, I, I'm not sure on the language sometimes uh, whenever I do. No, you're good. You can curse okay. or say whatever. Yeah, I here. swear all the time. You're fine. Okay. This fuck, dude, fuck, 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 fuck. <laughs> Sorry. All right. Uh, this guy, the guy that I worked for was the biggest fucking douchebag I had ever met in my entire life. Like, he was like, if you took a lacrosse player and mixed him with a frat guy, that's what you got Ooh. in my boss. Um, guaranteed HPV just talking to him <laughs> oh yeah 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 you want to you shake his hand you need a penicillin that's, yeah, a, yeah. that's what you need you need penicillin in your life um he sat me down in the office one day this is around I got fired in 2019 2019 yeah 2019 he sat me down around this was like 2016 and I had already made this shift and like I was not at company happy hours I stopped showing up to the office in the morning. Like I had, I built up this book of business where I didn't always have to be there. And so knowing that I didn't have to be there, why show up? Like I'm out there, I'm working, I'm producing. And he sat me down and he said, hey, listen, Ralph. Hey buddy, we want you to have your own outside life out, you know, outside of the company. We want you to have your own outside life, but we really believe in this, this work, personal life balance. We really want you to just, we want you to have that, but I'm going to need you to show up at the office a little bit more. Yeah. I'm going to need you to show up a little bit more. And I said, uh, the office is an hour away from where I live, an hour away from where I have to work. Do you want me to kill two hours 
just to show you could see my face. Just so you could see my face mm-hmm. and know that I'm working. And at that point, I was like, no, this is not. This is a, this is a power trip. This is a power control move. And uh, mm-hmm. and I just stopped showing up. I was like, I'll see you guys on the Thursday morning meeting. Like that's it. Yeah, that's it. Uh, I would leave. I would leave my territory at three o'clock. Uh, I'd come home, eat lunch, take a nap, grab a coffee, and back out that door for uh, five o'clock open mic. Wow. And I would go from five to eleven, sometimes twelve. Uh, probably four nights a week. Four nights during the work week, and then Saturdays and Sundays was just, you know, all hands on deck whenever, you know, whatever you have going on. So yeah. That's so cool. And such good advice. Wherever you work, they don't <laughs> care about you. No, they don't well, I feel, care. Yeah. I mean, I feel like for creative people, like, we're given this, like, speech from the time we're, like, children that, like, you are going to have a job you go to at 9 o'clock in the morning, and you're going to leave there at 5, and then unless your job is your hobby, you might as well just give up on your dreams. Like, you know, <laughs> you don't get to pursue anything outside of that. And for me, like, in my 20s when I realized, oh, I could just work to make money so I can then fund stuff I actually give a shit about later. <laughs> and then, then that's when your mind shifts to that, it's, it might affect your work performance, but it's a pretty freeing feeling, I think. Well, it's <laughs> interesting you say that, Roz, though, because I kind of had the opposite experience for a little bit, just because there was a time in my life where... The only thing I was doing was, like, various acting gigs or, like, being a teaching artist, which isn't the same as performing, but, like, making my living from art. And I found that that was actually, like, killing the creative process for me because it ended up being, like, just constantly hustling and, like, every gig that I got, it was almost like, I couldn't like sit there and enjoy working on the project because I was thinking about when I was going to move on to the next project. So then when I got a like normal job that was closer to like the nine to five thing, I think the first job I had like that was actually something like seven to three, which for me was even better because commuting in this area sucks. Um, But it was, it wasn't until that kind of stability and like the financial independence that came with that. Cause also like that time in my life when I was like going from gig to gig to gig, it was still never enough to like make a living wage. <laughs> yeah. No. Did get to play twins that fucked each other and then murdered someone in that <laughs> one show though. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, I mean, come on. So that, <laughs> God, do you want to eat or questions. do you want to play fuck murder twins, you know? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, okay, quick story. So that was uh, <laughs> Evil Twins on Investigation Discovery, no, or Discovery ID, and it was like episode three or something, just to like make the people researching on the internet make their jobs a little bit easier. <laughs> but yeah, I played Greg and Jeff, and uh, yeah, they, they killed each other, so it was very, like weird and metaphorical too to like watch myself on screen and like these series of scenes that have been cut together to make it look like I was beating myself up. 
Just like, oh, it's like real life, but on the inside. But anyway, <laughs> we, we can... Wow. We, yeah, I'm in a mood today. Um, but it's fine. We don't have to, we don't have to linger on that. But um, it sounds like a lot of... Making it in New York City, though, is kind of moving away from, I guess, what I had and what you had, which was the more typical job and doing the comedy thing full time and just making that jump? Or is there any room to kind of smoothly transition? No, you have to make a smooth transition. This was not this this was not planned. Uh, no, oh, not at all. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I was not planning on getting fired. Oh, no, 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 no. Okay, sorry. Uh, no, no, it's all good. No, listen, um, I, listen, I adopted this philosophy uh, where everything happens for you. It doesn't happen to you. It happens for you. It happens for a reason. Uh, it, it, it takes away that victim mentality. And so when this happened for me, I said, well, uh, all right, let's 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 try to make this work. And, um, and so I did, and I made it work as best I could for, for six months. Then I went back to work for a little bit. I picked up, a, a picked up a temp gig and I did temp sales for, uh, three months. And then, uh, that ended, then the holidays hit and I said, all right, well, I got a little bit of money. Uh, I'm not going to work for a month. I'm just going to do stand up and I'm just going to write. And then we got into the new year. Then I got this job at a gym where I was, uh, helping run the membership team. And then Corona hit, and then here we are. Um, but I didn't plan this. No, you. This was not. If if, if I had to do this the way that I wanted to, uh, I would have slowly transitioned out. Maybe picked up another sales job, something of that nature. Uh, you want a nice little go between. You you can't go from you can't go from working corporate to just working stand up. That that is a financial jump. That unless you have a trust fund. Yeah, a trust mm. fund. Uh, in a perfect world, Ross. In a perfect <laughs> world. Um, no, if you have, you know, if you have six months of, uh, of money saved up, six months for bills, a year for bills, if you have a chunk of money that you can live off of, yeah, it's a little bit more feasible. It's a little bit more doable. But, you know, it, you're going to have to have some kind of stability. You're going to have to have some kind of money coming in. Uh, from a job, there's no way you're going to survive. You know what? It's delusions of grandeur. No matter how good you think you are, you need to have some kind of supplemental income coming in uh, to help offset some of the bills. Unless you're, you know, some like comedic prodigy, <laughs> you know, like unless you're a prodigy or uh, you get picked up for a commercial or a show. Uh, that's the only way it's going to happen. Yeah. You need There needs to be some kind of financial transition. It's too much of a drop-off. Yeah, some kind of like base steady income for the dry months. Yeah, or pick up like, uh, you know, if you got some money saved and you don't want to necessarily go back to a stressful job, like I could have picked up some, bull if I, if I had six months saved or a year of money saved, uh, I could have just picked up some bullshit minimum wage job that I didn't care about just to cover... You know, just to cover rent. That way, I don't have to use my savings to to help pay for rent. Um, I would have loved to have done that, but that wasn't the hand that I was dealt. And you just got to make the most of it. So, uh, so I went and went full throttle into acting. So I was doing background work, doing commercials, 
Um, then I wanted to get into some more significant stuff. So I, I just uh, started an acting school and I went from their uh, summer intensive to being accepted in their two-year conservatory. And, uh, and I finished that up in May, uh, May or May, June. And, um, and then we go from there, but you know, now with COVID, uh, now with COVID, <laughs> nobody knows what's going to happen. Um, you are, no matter what level you're on, you are, we are all just in the same fucking fishbowl, man. We are yeah. in the same fishbowl <laughs> right now. Oh, Everyone's everyone's working from a laptop now, which kind of I'm evens the playing field. Performance venue, so <laughs> we're very much in that phase right now. Yeah, it's um, it's wild. I like I you know I but I I'm happy to do Zoom. I like doing Zoom. It's different, you know. It's different, but like with Zoom, you can. It makes it makes getting like ten or twenty bucks for a spot so much more feasible because you're like, I don't have to drive. I don't have to worry about paying for the train. You know, I'm not worried about, you know, am I going to grab Do I have a chance to grab dinner? You know, you get paid 20 bucks for a spot. You get a cab ride home. That's 15 bucks. You got five bucks. What are you going to get? Two slices and a Coke? Mm -hmm. Like that's. <laughs> yeah. And that's like the whole thing too, is just because I feel like art is just like, so and entertainment is so undervalued um in this part of the world um where it's like yeah i can get all these gigs and like half of them will barely cover the cost of like getting to the gig and like <laughs> food for the day because you're gonna be like on set all day i remember when i did like some extra stuff it would be like 17 hour days mm -hmm. and they would like want you on site the whole time not because you were doing anything but because they might need you to do something <laughs> Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. I don't know if you ever, this, this, is this was the biggest gem that I ever got being on set. First time, uh, first, first set I was ever on was for, uh, for the deuce. Um, oh. the deuce back in, I think it was 20, it was 2017, it's not a 2017 or 2018, whatever the first season was, I think it was 2017. And I got hired to, to play a pimp slash hustler. And I had this, I didn't have this haircut. I had shoulder length hair. I had okay. a goatee. Um, I, I look like I walked out of 1972. Like it was, it was wild to look at me now and to look at me then. I was about and, to say um, like the haircut and the glasses I, doesn't read pimp to me. <laughs> no, no. Uh, but I like you still included me as a hustler. I like that. I'll take that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, so I get on set and like, it felt like I was in high school. Like they had these big lunch tables. Uh, I'm walking in. Uh, I have no idea who anybody is. They all know each other because they've been doing this. That, that background community, those background folks, it's like a whole nother world in and of itself. And so, um, and so I see this dude with fucking army fatigues on. I'm like, there's something wrong with this guy and I need to sit next to him. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 I don't like, I, I like weirdos. I like freaks. I like geeks. I like, I like the creme de la creme of, of the weirdos, man. And this dude was everything that I was like, this guy's going to be great. He's going to have some great stories and he might also have some weed and that's going to make my day a hell of a lot better. And so we're sitting down and you know, we had broken, broke for lunch and we're sitting down, we're eating. And all of a sudden this dude breaks out fucking Tupperware breaks out <laughs> these Tupperware and starts dumping food into the Tupperware. And I was like, what are you doing? 
Like, in my mind, I was looking at him the same way I would look at a grandmother stealing salt packets or sugar packets. You're like, why are you doing this? Why? And he goes, listen, this is what you got to do. They're going to throw this food out. They're going to throw it out. Why not take it home for me? You think they pay us enough? And then I saw how much we were getting paid for the day, and I was like, oh, this makes perfect sense. So I started <laughs> equating how much food I could take home from set and adding it on to what I was getting paid for the day. And I was like, oh, this is fucking great. It was great. <laughs> it was great. You, but with the way that I eat, Tom, I know you've never seen me in person. Dude, I'm 6'2", about 210. 220 sometimes I fluctuate. Like, I'm a big dude. I eat a fucking ton. And when I get the munchies, it's a disability, man. It is bad. So, oh my God. With the food that I can take with me, that adds on like $40, $50, $60 a day. Because they, I've sometimes had the best food in my life mm -hmm. on that. Like, I'm talking, uh, I'm talking grilled, uh, grilled London broil. Uh, fettuccine Alfredo with cut sausage in it. I mean, I've been on some sets where you're like, what world is this? Is Gordon Ramsay going to pop out and start fucking making a lamb chop? Like, what's going on here? Well, it's a big confidence boost, too, to be like, oh, well, I thought I was going to be making, like, 20 bucks for the day, and now I feel like I'm making, like, 70 bucks because of all the food I'm taking home with me. Oh, yeah. With the pay rate, because every, you know, because, uh, uh, you know, regions and states, they all vary. You know, New York is actually really good uh, to do background work. And, like, that pay scale is primo. And you add in, for me, I would add in what they would pay me, what I would take in food. And I was clear about uh, about 200 bucks a day. I was like, this is phenomenal. <laughs> 12 hour day, sure. What am I going to do home? Sit home, smoke weed, and write jokes? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> I can do that on set and get paid. Yeah. Good point. That is great. Oh, so, so in this vein, okay, I have a really, I'm selfishly, I have a really good story related to this, but what is the weirdest thing you've ever done for money? Like, to make ends meet? Uh, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I think we have a very hot. I think your version of weird is my, is different from my version of weird. Is definitely different from that audience, the audience that's watching. That's uh, true. That's true. Weird for, Both weird of them. for them might be a normal Tuesday for me. Like, I, uh, I mean, listen, I, I I've never done anything um, sexual. Uh, that's for sure. Uh, I've never been. <laughs> What's the point that? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I feel like that's just... That's also not, not that weird of a thing to do for money, either. Um, For women, no. For men, yes. Uh, Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Female sex work, that's a thumbs up for me. Yeah, that's my... <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's great. Uh, dudes, it's a little... Mm, that's a little fucking weird. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Although I feel like I've seen a couple of uh, comedians online who have been, like, just doing their stand-up bits through their OnlyFans page as a way to make income. Like, they don't do anything sexual on it. They just tell jokes. These are male comedians? Oh, I don't... No, they're not male. But, yeah. I I don't know. Maybe that's part of it, is it's like the lure to think that something's gonna happen and then it just ends up being poop jokes. Yeah, I mean, I would be... I, I, I'd be 
pretty fucking pissed. If if I if I subscribe to an OnlyFans page and and I got some somebody telling me jokes, <laughs> this is, a fucking, is this a tell me some suicide jokes? God damn it, let's make this enjoyable. I was about to say, unless they're really good jokes, but they have to be that good to offset yeah. the the yeah. lie that drew you in. <laughs> I mean, I'll be honest with you. Listen, if some if I could get paid for an OnlyFans just to tell jokes, I you know. It's a bad economy, man. <laughs> Listen, if Mitch McConnell don't get his shit together, Ralphie might be telling jokes in his boxers. Like, I don't know. Uh, we got to make rent, baby. We got to make rent. Whatever, whatever makes sense to me, you know? No judgment here. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, I, uh, yeah. And all, I've never, I've never done anything weird to, to make money. I'm, okay. I'm, too much of, I'm too much of a hustler. I know how to make money. I, I don't have to do anything weird. That's for sure. Well, that's a good skill to have. But you yeah. mentioned um, acting school, too, and I want to get into a little bit of that. Uh, what yeah. kind of, like, inspired you to kind of build on that aspect of your performance repertoire? Yeah, um, I, I love it. I love my program. Uh, I, I, I can... When I met my teaching instructor for the interview to take this summer intensive, I was like, this fucking guy's going to change my life. Like, I... Yeah. He was just, uh, you ever just meet someone and you're like, this dude, man, you are on the fucking money, on the money. And, uh, I knew he was going to change my life. And, um, and so when, so I did the summer intensive and I saw how it, I'm studying the Meisner technique. So, uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Meisner. It's, you know, it's really like, you know, you're getting on your impulses. Most people think it's just repetition and being a fucking lunatic. <laughs> it's really not. It, it, it is. You are actively listening and in, in doing truthfully in imaginary circumstances. And it is just primo, primo work. It is a very hard technique to learn because you're on your impulses, you're out of your head, you're on your feet, you're in your heart, and you are just firing, man. You are firing on all cylinders. And I wanted to take an acting school because the first time I'd ever been on set, it was like, I felt like I was drunk. When I left, when I left being on the deuce that day uh, in, in what is it, 20, 2017 to 2018, um, something in me had changed. Something had clicked. And I remember t I was talking to my father because we were filming at this warehouse in the Bronx. And I remember calling him and being like, you wouldn't believe what I just did for the last 14 hours. Now, you get a random phone call from your son <laughs> being like, you wouldn't believe what I just did. And if you had known my history of, of, of my 20s and of my teens and growing up, that could have gone a lot of different ways. Yeah. <laughs> so It's like, how much um, do you need for bail? Yeah, kind of. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That, that, that was definitely within that little realm. And, um, and I just remember being like, I just spent 14 hours in a warehouse in the Bronx, not only in the Bronx, in the South Bronx, okay? The South Bronx is still one of, uh, of New York City's last strongholds of what New York is. And uh, it's very gritty. It's very New York. And I just remember leaving, being like, I, I, I got to come back. I got to get back. I got to figure out how I got to get back. I got... I need to keep coming back. It was like the first time I ever did stand up. That that feeling, that connection to being on set, to to talking with other actors. I was like, I need 
this more in my life. Like I, I have to figure it out. I have to make this happen. And so just that first experience, I was like, all right, well, I got to keep getting on set. Uh, my goal is to get background work once a month. That was it. Like, let's just get a gig once a month and start stringing them together, stringing them together, stringing them together. And then that wasn't good enough. And I was like, all right, I need more than just background work. So, mm-hmm. well, I've been doing this for about a year, year and a half. How can I get better? Well, I first need to learn how to act. And I talked to a buddy who's a comedian and I said, Hey, you know, uh, yeah, I know that you went to acting school and you know, you do a lot of these different commercials. You do some, you know, some indie stuff. What, where do you go? Where would you recommend? If I, if I want to take an acting school, what would you recommend? And he told me two schools and I remembered one and that was a school that I enrolled in. And I just, that was almost like divine intervention. Like it was, it was meant to be. And so uh, I enrolled for the summer course, got accepted in the conservatory, and um, and, and here we are. Here we are. And, and it's taught me how to dig deeper into what I want to talk about. Um, therapy also helps, but it, it's a lot with right, acting. Yeah. <laughs> it's just being more emotionally connected. Like when you act, you have an acting partner. And in stand-up, you also have an acting partner. It's the audience. It's the audience. The, the audience is your scene partner. And you are feeding off of them. You're going back and forth, back and forth. It's give and take, give and take. And and, and if they give you more, then you got to give more. And it, it's just being being comfortable and being yourself. And the one thing that that Meisner has taught me so far is you have to be present. That's all it is. Stand-up is just you want to be present. You want to be present. You want to be focused on your acting partner. You want to be focused. You want to have a, 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 a working, functioning, healthy instrument, and that's yourself. And you just want to be able to move and groove, man. That's it. <laughs> it, it is. That's it. And I Now, when I go on stage, well, before Corona, uh, no. <laughs> you know, uh, I've had a couple outdoor shows. I, I've done some, some private gigs and whatnot. Having all this this training so far, and, and what I've been doing in stand up, it's just this mentality of like, you just want to go out. I'm gonna fuck you up. Like that's that's <laughs> just my like I am gonna, whatever you think you're can, whatever you think I'm gonna be like on stage, I'm gonna fuck you up. You're not even gonna see it coming because I have, uh, I I wear tight t-shirts, uh, not by choice. They're just tight. It's, they're adults. They're adult extra larges. They just look like baby gap. Um, <laughs> It, you know, I got. I used to have the slick back hair. You know, you got tattoos, and they have me pegged as just a broy bro, and I'm definitely not. And I got some stories. I got some weird observations, and uh, and we're gonna have some fun. You let your guard down. We'll have some fun. That's awesome. That's, yeah, that's how acting has just influenced my my stand up, and it's it's been phenomenal. Yeah, no, that's great. I and the thing that I really like about Meisner too, or at least how I like relate it to my experience for performing is like back to that improv background and one of the like huge benefits of like knowing how to be present in the moment and actually listen and you know have those cylinders firing is that it really makes you very versatile Mm -hmm. and it gives you an advantage that I feel like some other actors who haven't trained in similar methods have because so many times you either are in a play or on set or whatever and something will change last second that completely changes uh, 
everything about the scene or you'll get new pages last second. Um, and you just kind of have to roll with it, but still, you know, be your character and be within the world of the play. And I haven't gone and like studied but Meisner super in depth, but it sounds like it's a lot of those concepts. Yeah, and and just one thing with the with stand up, you know, you talked about being present and actively listening. It's you can pick up on the crowd, and and if you can do a little crowd work, and if you're listening, you're paying attention, you're present, and somebody says something or somebody does something, and boom, you you can capture that and and riff off of it. That could your set could just completely change. Like I have some amazing uh, moments. I've had some amazing moments where it was just all crowd work. And if you went to my Instagram, a lot of it is fucking crowd work because it's just, that's one of my favorite aspects of standup in, in being in this class, um, you know, really helped exacerbate that. It's phenomenal. I think every, I think, I think standup comics, they need, they need to take two things outside of just doing standup. And that is get into therapy and, and take some sort of acting class. I will say that you mentioned something that uh, I think it came up actually in our interview with uh, Winston, but that is one of the things um, that I do not like um, about crowd work is that it is basically a scene with the audience because um, that just makes me nervous and it makes me nervous to do crowd work when like my potential scene partner is like wasted <laughs> or like was supposed to see a band and instead they're like seeing an open mic or whatever the situation is. Like the uncertainty I think uh, is a little bit scary for me, but I appreciate people who take it on as a challenge or an opportunity to, you know, make yeah. something funny. You, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, having that sales background, having to generate conversation out of thin air really helped prep me for crowd work. <laughs> And, you know, I would, uh, you know, I could riff in between jokes a little bit, pick up off the audience. But then I got to the point where, like, I love to just start my set off with some crowd work. And sometimes it goes better than the jokes actually go. And uh, or, it'll, it'll, or it'll almost hijack your whole set. You know, you'll end up doing crowd work for 10 minutes. You know, it's 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 um, there, there was a quote that I remember it's by Bill Hicks. And he said, um, your jokes are what you fall back on when you have nothing else to talk about. Damn. And I think that's a, a phenomenal way to capture capture uh, crowd work. It, it's wild, man. I, dude, I did a holiday party once. <laughs> oh, my oh, God. God. <laughs> I did a holiday party. They hired me to do 45 minutes, 45 minutes, and they were so – they were so drunk by the time I showed up, like they didn't time the drinks to the appetizer to the entree. Like they had been drinking for two and a half hours. Aggressive. Like they were aggressively drinking for two and a half hours before. <laughs> yeah. Like I was supposed to go up. Like they were going to have a half an hour of happy hour, hour, happy hour appetizers, sit down for dinner. I go on when they sit down for dinner. Um, mm -mm. That did not happen. No, I went on when they were like, well, fuck, we got to literally the conversation was, well, fuck, we got to get him to start, start telling jokes because we got to get him out of here. That was how I, that's how I started the set. They're like, well, he's got to go. He's got to do his jokes because he's got to go. And you're like, what? <laughs> so they oh were so drunk 
they were so drunk that uh, my opener, I had a buddy open for me. He ate it for 10 minutes because he kept trying to tell jokes. And I was like, oh, well, fuck, I can't. I can't jump on this grenade. <laughs> so I, they had me doing 45 minutes. I did 37 minutes of just crowd work. 37 minutes of just talking to them straight. That was it. And after that, after that night, I was like, oh, I'll never worry about doing crowd work ever again. When you have, when you have. That is immersion they, therapy. They had probably, it was probably about 50 or 60 people, almost blackout drunk, belligerent, just belligerent. And I, and you just, you just have to do it. You're like, well, with stand up, I look at things like this. It's like, either this is going to be great in an awesome way, or this is going to be so terrible. It's going to be awesome in a great story way. And that was a great story. Um, yeah. Well, that's awesome. Uh, I'm glad that that ended up being such a great situation, um, even though it had the potential to be also very volatile. Um, it happened for you. Yeah, it there you for go. Me. That's it, baby. Yeah. You got that right, Roz. There's Absolutely. Roz coming in, make, circling it back. Great callback. That's yeah. it. <laughs> but that's um, baby. we are uh, getting towards the end of our little <laughs> chat, so... Um, I do want to ask, you know, what is next for you? What is the end game for your pursuit of comedy that you're looking for? Like, what's your goal? Um, well, my goal is to be a working stand-up comic. Um, you know, I feel like anybody that does stand-up, that, that's their end goal is to be able to provide for themselves, provide for their family off of their stand-up income. Um, but that's, it's, it's tough to do in this day and age. It's tough to do in this world. You need to have, you need to have multiple hustles. You need to diversify how you're going to bring in money. So, um, so ultimately, like I would love to, you know, this coming year, if, you know, the vaccine, I say, if the vaccine gets out and it's successful, uh, I would like to go out. Uh, I want to go out on tour. I want to go out on the road, you know, spend good two, three, four months, just, you know, kicking it all around the country, telling jokes. Um, but I think it, uh, for me personally, I want to, I want to put out an album. Uh, I'm turning 40 in November. And so I want to put an album out for that. And, um, I also, I spent this, this, this quarantine, this lockdown, just writing. And, um, uh, I wrote one pilot, uh, I wrote a pilot. I started a screenplay and I started working on another pilot as we, literally this week. And, uh, and I'm taking a, a sketch writing course. So I have, you know, I have probably about a dozen sketches I've written already. So I, I just want to be, I want to touch stand-up. I want to touch comedy any way I can, whether I'm acting it on the stage, telling jokes on stage, writing it for TV, writing it for some streaming service, whatever it is, I just want to write and create and make people laugh. Like that is the end goal. And how I get there, any one of those little hustles is going to get me to that, to that finish line. Oh, that's awesome. And such a nice way to end our interview. So I'm going to go ahead and uh, and uh, go into the little outro spiel, which is uh, thank you, everybody uh, who was watching, um, who will be watching when this is like uploaded in the future. Thank you, Roz, for co-hosting with me as always. Thank you, Ralph, for being such an amazing guest. Uh, again, uh, if you want to share this episode with your friends, uh, you can find it all on our YouTube channel, our Facebook page, District Comedy. 
Um, and you can also find us on Spotify. And actually, um, just updated it, so I think you should be able to find us on Apple Podcasts now, too, if you're one of those uh, iPhone people. Um, so next week, uh, you can catch us doing this again, and um, I believe that will be the 23rd. So we'll be having a displaced comedian um, administrator... Uh, Nico Lukoff on the show uh, for his interview, so it, it'll be a good time. It'll be a good time. Yeah. But uh, thank you all for tuning in, and see you next time. Bye. Bye. Woo 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 woo. Later. Damn. I wish I could say that those were just jokes, not a manifesto. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like One I second, my computer. Okay, I think it did end the stream. Sorry. <laughs> I just wanted to make sure. That we were com actually off the air before. Yeah, I feel like I really should have dressed the jokes behind me and been like, this is not a manifesto. <laughs> uh, it's all good. I think when you send me the link, I'm going to have to say something in the comments right away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I am not planning anything other than my next set. Oh, right? I promise. That's it. This thing is just, like, I think my window just, like, froze. Anyway, that won't prevent me from ending the meeting though but um i'm just worried that like we're still live i wish my okay it stopped lagging okay we're, we should be fine maybe control alt delete <laughs> um i just want to make sure we're like off the air before down. i ask um about the whole like show stuff <laughs> um yeah. no uh my boyfriend said still streaming damn it <laughs> all right well I can at least end the Zoom meeting. Uh, we'll have to talk off air about that stuff, uh, Ralph. Yeah. Um, oh, but... yeah, yeah. Hmm? yeah. Okay. No, said, oh, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. Gotcha. Goodbye, take two. Hopefully, Goodbye, this time everybody. it works. <laughs> Jokes, not manifesto. Not a manifesto. He's. <laughs> For the third time, I swear. If you're the FBI, just don't worry about it. It's all no, good. it's still not ending. It won't even not end my Zoom oh, call. God. I'm just perpetually streaming what is going on christ we live on zoom now we live on zoom now well i am going to head out so i can finish dinner if that's cool please don't yeah, please, please. that manifesto joke on there please <laughs> <laughs> i really appreciate that that'll be the one we quote you on yeah, yeah. um that's the last thing i need to get fucking canceled on <laughs> yeah absolutely uh, all right thank you so much ralph uh, thank you it was nice meeting you please hit nice me up you facebook too. twitter whatever and yeah, uh and Tommy, i will uh I'll see you tomorrow night. Sounds good. All right. Yeah. What I'll see do you. is I'll, I'll hop on early uh, <laughs> if I can tomorrow, and I'll and we'll talk. Okay. Sounds good. All right. Um, I'm gonna have to like hard turn off my computer. So. <laughs> oh. <laughs>